today I welcome Fanula Kennedy, head at Wimbledon High School in London. In this episode, I discuss student-led eco-initiatives and sustainability, STEAM, not STEM, mental health and online learning. Taking on a headship, your first headship, um, I mean, I, I kind of go, it's the first headship under lockdown, right? We've, we've had the, the, a global pandemic. You're following hot on the heels of, of, of a really inspirational head. I mean, wow. Why and how did you take this on? I think two things are really positive about this. The first is, of course, I'm doing it at a school where I know my team. I know all the parents. I know all the girls. So first of all, they give me the benefit of the doubt because that's so important right now is that you have that trust there with your parent body. Because when I'm saying your daughter needs to self-isolate and that means you're going to miss, you know, granny's 80th birthday, whatever it is, the fact they already know me um, and trust me is, is massive. But the second thing is, if you're going to do something difficult, I'd, l I'd prefer to start at the top of the difficulty peak because think how easy my second year of headship is going to feel. <laughs> well, well, exactly. Yeah. Um, in fact, I've, I've been speaking to a number of um, new heads during, during this podcast series um, and they alike are going, well, we're, we're kind of thrown in the deep end and it's kind of where you want to be anyway. I think when you, you've got to test yourself and you want to be tested in some of the hardest instances because people expect you not to do well, right? They, they expect yeah. you to fail but it's your opportunity to go, I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to show the grit resilience. And, you know, you having obviously had coronavirus at the beginning, gone through that at the beginning of a, a transition into a massively um, stressful um, role as a head of a brilliant girls' school. Um, and then to show the grit and resilience, I think it's a great role model for those girls and, yeah. for, your, and for your staff that you've got. I mean, you know that at Wimbledon, we've always been all about embracing opportunities to be out of your depth. And I think it's so important for young people, actually, not just young women, to know that feeling a bit lost or a bit uncertain is actually just your opportunity to develop. It doesn't mean um, that you've done the wrong thing or you're going along the wrong path. And I, th I think I've really appreciated that this term. But it's really interesting as well that you describe it as a really stressful job running a school as good as this yeah and I think isn't that as well because you have such an incredible culture you know um, leaders often talk about culture more than anything within their organization because without a strong culture and it obviously is is from leadership all the way down you can't all thrive and you need obviously places to grow and you need people to grow and so you already have that great culture and that community spirit where you all believe what you believed and you all got on and I think that's, you know, you talk about being stressful. I think Jane, Jane was the same. I mean, she was not, she loved it. And you could tell, you know, every time you met her, every single day, it doesn't matter what was thrown at her and what was going on in the world then, everything was positive. And yeah. I think that, that that's a really great thing to... I think that's right. It's taught me a lot, actually. I mean, you know that Jane and I worked really closely together for five years before now anyway. So in many ways, the culture that was established, um, I was sort of working alongside her to do that because she's always well she's very inspirational she's always massively collaborative and gave me loads of opportunities so I'm, I'm so grateful to her for that and what we have now I think um, particularly in our communication is huge amounts of trust each way by which I mean the transparency with which I can talk to staff about risk 
versus um, the opportunity of educating the girls. The transparency with which I can tell parents exactly what's going on without having to fudge anything, I think is so important. And I've watched our government <laughs> and the way in which they communicate, which is untimely, untransparent um, and confusing. And to me, the greatest lesson I will take away from this whole situation is at all times, but particularly in a crisis, trust your audience, let them know exactly what the picture is and they will make the right decisions. And I think at Wimbledon, we, because we've always done that, it's been very straightforward, actually. Um, so, so your transition from obviously senior um, deputy head to, mm. to, to head in this time has been, been easy. Well, <laughs> um, I tell you what, you do feel, I mean, we all feel more isolated anyway, right? Um, but I used to sit right in the middle of the school with my door always open and my diary was really busy, but it was busy seeing people in school. So, and I, I knew everything. All the staff would come and tell me stuff. The girls would come to me. And now I'm in a different section of the school in my beautiful office. I, I'm very lucky. Um, but I'm, my diary is so jam-packed I miss that interaction and what's going on and my deputies bring me little tidbits but for somebody as um, uh, in need of, of social interaction as I am because I'm not getting that outside of school and I'm not getting it in here you do feel more isolated yeah. and also it's a bit confusing for some of my team because of course I've gone from being whilst I was as above them in the hierarchy we're not yeah. very hierarchical but you're accessible, are, right? You're accessible. And, and now yeah, and we were we were mates, you know, yeah. lots of us. Um, and we can still be friendly, but it is different. And you do have to but again, you know, you have to think about what does my team need and what they want from me is clarity and support and structure, particularly in these uncertain times. They don't want me muddying the waters too much. Um, so you know, I've had to step away a little bit. Um, which is and, and, and you found that the hardest I think leaders again talk about isolation you know actually there is no support because when you're at the top of a tree it, it is you leading and there's you know who, who's there to, to, to support you who's there to say hey great job who's there to, to kind of help you and um, have you have you kind of got a, um, a, a group of collaborators and mentors that you you regularly rely yeah, on? Yeah, well, I'm I'm lucky, Anthony, Simon, because I've got the GDST. So I've got my boss, Cheryl Giovannoni, who is super inspiring, um, very, you know, really strong on women in the workplace and and, and women's education. Um, and also I've got all the other heads because there's 25 of us across the trust. So a couple of them are new like me. Um, and then it goes all the way up to those who are, you know, been doing it for 20 years or so. So I've got a huge bank of resources to count on. But it's interesting what you say about the praise thing, because Jane was such a prolific praiser. You know, <laughs> you just get out of bed and she'd say, you're a human marvel. Um, <laughs> and I do feel like without that, it's a praise vacuum. You know, I, I kind of want to say to her, look, can you text me every morning? <laughs> um and I also naturally, I don't praise as much as she did. So I have to be careful as well that my team don't feel that they're not getting seen and thanked in the yeah. same way. Um, but, but, also I, you, but also you can't replicate. You, you have no. to be original. And that's what we teach all our young men and women and our kids is that, you know, you were all born original. Do not leave, you know, live, lead your lives as a copy. And so it's, it's a hard balance, right. isn't it, between... Yeah what worked well and you actually carving out your own identity yeah i mean i think leadership has to be authentic doesn't it yeah 
Yeah. Um, I want to touch on um, mental health. The, re the reason is, is that I've, I've been reading quite a lot and there's been a lot, again, particularly because we've had the second lockdown. And I've certainly noticed in myself and, um, you know, I'm like you, I'm, I'm, I'm a social butterfly. I enjoy interactions. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like I've had my wings clipped and mm. probably the last, this, this last month has been enormously difficult. And, you know, I kind of looked at it, I've just been low, low, low. What, what, do you, what are you doing as a school to support um, your teachers and, and your girls in terms of being mentally strong? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because um, one of the big ways we would normally do that as a community is to get together and, and just with our celebratory togetherness, remind ourselves that we're part of something bigger than just our individual self. Um, and that's really difficult to achieve at the moment. So there's the sort of, there's the basic stuff of, um, you know, making sure the girls have access to listening ears if they need them. You know, some of them, I think any teenager being locked down with their parents for significant amounts of time is pretty horrific. Um, but for some of them, it has been really hard. You know, for those whose parents' relationships have taken a real toll during lockdown and they've had to be in the house to be part of that um, to, you know, more extreme situations. So lots of access to listening ears to counselling if needed and so on. But also, I think for all of us, it's about sitting within the discomfort and knowing that it's okay that you're feeling a bit lost. So some of our girls and staff actually are very high achieving, you know, set the bar very high for themselves. And that includes their expectation to be copers. Yeah. You know, that it's that somehow you're letting your family down or your mates down if you're not the life and soul of the party, if you're not just getting on with it and being resilient. Um, and that, that we need to be really careful of because we talk a lot about grit and resilience. But at the moment, a lot is being asked of us and to feel low is okay. And you can't expect not to actually. And that's been a really interesting conversation to have um, with our staff, just in saying to them that at the moment, their 70% effort will be more than enough. They do not have to be the perfect educator at this point when they're juggling childcare and um, partners not working or partners you know, really struggling and feeling low. They've just got to do what they can. And at schools like Wimbledon, we're not very good at just giving what we can. We always give more. Yeah, and, and, so, and that's something that I've struggled with. And I mean, that, that, that's such great advice, um, you know, and it, it is OK to feel low. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know I've, I've never one to show, show that things get on top of you or that it's difficult. And it's, it's actually been really um, rewarding for me, actually, as a personal dinner to, to develop myself personally, to, to, right. to, to open up and go, I've really struggled, you know, I've really, really struggled this time, particularly this last month. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing actually how many people come around and go, yeah, me too. Or actually, what about this? And actually just talking about it has been amazing. Yeah. And not just saying, oh, by the way, my, my life looks perfect. I'm telling you, it's not. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, isn't it? Is, is really encouraging the kids in particular not to think, gosh, I feel low, but look at this person on Insta who's yeah. totally nailing lockdown. You know, I felt, I felt in the first lockdown, if I saw what, I mean, I'm not a big social media person. My Twitter profile is rubbish and I, I keep getting told off by Rachel, our brilliant director. Yeah. Of we'll, we'll, we'll sort that out, that's easy. Thanks Simon, yeah, you can help me. Um, but you know, in Facebook in the first lockdown, so many of my friends were losing weight and learning languages and so on. I, I don't, I mean, A, I wasn't very well, but B, 
because my boss was ill as well. You know, we were sending a school into lockdown for the first time ever in the history of the world. I, I had far too much on my plate to be doing that sort of stuff. But also I lost, as, a, as an English lit person, I lost my ability to read, to focus. And that's another really interesting um, side effect, I think, of what's happening <clears throat> is some of our very academic staff and girls are saying their ability to immerse themselves fully in a text or a film or whatever it is that they're engaging in or a piece of music has gone because their brain is always whirring away with a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of worry. Yeah. Um, and that I think really builds up that sense of lowness is the joy of forgetting the outside world. It's harder and harder to come by at the moment. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I, I completely feel that as well. Um... Yeah, the way the way you immerse yourself, and I think it's because the routine shifted. You know, you're you're, you're stuck in this. You know, particularly when you're locked down, working from home. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's the same routine, and it's the same it's the same for what it, it just feels the same. Yet, you know, my, my my paradigm shifted. I'm still doing the same role, and by the way, I'm still at home and doing being a dad. So it's been, it has been difficult. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. There's been lots of incredible things going on at Wimbledon, one of which is the Project X Humilibus. Tell us about this. So we were delighted that despite the uh, current situation, the first phase of our build, so Project X Humilibus is our building project, first phase opened only a week late which is incredible back in September and that's our steam tower so this is um, a new shining gleaming tower right in the center of the school that inhabits um, art science design technology graphics um, computer science so it's an invention and discovery tower essentially um, where the arts and creativity mingles with science and tech and we're so excited already it has just inspired our girls and it's all glass so joy I get just wandering around the tower the visible learning is unreal and it's filled with light um it's absolutely glorious I mean um, what a great time to you know to, to inherit that right at the unreal school. I remember seeing the plans and seeing it you know coming walking around um when it's in construction going wow that that is just an incredible facility um, but to have it there for you now. It's glorious. And, and because it opened in September, it, it really symbolised moving forward and hope and all of those things, progress, you know, at a time when we all felt we were treading water personally. So that's fantastic. And then February, we'll see the opening of our new uh, dining hall, um, which again will be filled with light. It's, it's floor to ceiling windows, um, the top floor of it, um, which is where our seniors will eat mostly. Um, you feel like you're in a canopy because all you can see are trees around you. It's absolutely stunning. And, and the idea- In the middle the girls, of London. I know. <laughs> so the idea that the girls will have a space in the middle of their days where they can sit and refuel and be with their friends and properly re-engage, I think is so important. And for me, food is at the heart of, of well-being. I think for young people, you know, they've got to fuel themselves properly they've got to have that relationship with food which is either i need it because i'm hungry or because i'm socializing with my friends and it's a glorious way to come together um 
or because I just really like the taste of that. I'm using food as like a fantastic um, positive experience. We want to move away from this idea that there's good food or bad food, or food is in some way a moral choice. It just isn't. Um, and our girls are so active. We need to give them amazing fuel in the middle of their day. Yeah. So we're really excited by that. And a lot of the, um, the menu, and I know that you went um, very eco as well, it was driven by the girls. Um, mm. How many initiatives do you let the girls run? Oh, absolutely loads, because obviously they need to have some, I mean, not the little, little ones, obviously, but they need to have some sort of say in what they're putting in their own bodies. And they are so eco-aware. And I think actually that generation is really giving a boot up the bottom to our generation to do more about this which is quite right so we have our meatless mondays which they are absolutely passionate about um and all sorts of food wastage and what we do with it they're incredibly socially minded actually and you know no red meat um because of uh, climate um implications with that and so on so but i'm also keen not to get too faddy i don't like notions of clean yeah. eating um, I think you know, cutting out major food groups early on in, in a girl's diet can, can really mask something else going on. So it's also about them having a plate that is colourful and varied and has lots of carbs, lots of protein, uh, lots of nutrition. Um, we believe in Wimbledon at SoCal, not low-cal. You know, if you're going to eat, make sure that what you're getting is really fantastic for your body and will fuel you. Because um, then they go off and they're busy for 10 hours. You know, they are on the go all the time. Yeah. And I suppose so that, you, you, you're also fighting the, the social media expectations, right? the, 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 the visual vanity pieces and what, and what so-called influencers help to dictate oh, and shape. 100%. Yeah. And it's not just girls, it's boys as well. No, I know. That said, you know, because I think it's very easy to, to tech bash. Um, and I don't ever want to do that. I mean, you're that, I'm sure that's music to your ears, Simon. Uh, but you know, social media has meant a lot of a flood of images and so on and, and a relentlessness that I think is hard for young people. But it's also led to some real developments in those areas. You know, it is the case now that I can find a model um, modeling online clothing in a size 14, which is my size. When I was growing up, that was absolutely impossible to find. I never, ever saw an image of a woman wearing clothing that would have fit me. Yeah. And you know, my size is, is a size lower than the average UK size. So that's crazy. Whereas now you do see people of all colours, all sizes, modelling clothing for young people. And to me, that is a major step forward in terms yeah. of their age, just practically speaking, because otherwise, how do you know what it's going to look like? But be, for their self-esteem, it's massive. And again, as a generation, they are noisy about this. Yeah. You know, they, they do say that's what they want. Yeah, but also with social media, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate, as you know, about social media. But part of the big drive is that it's not going to go away. And we need to teach our kids how to use it responsibly. Mm. Um, and I think we are the, the worst role models. Um, I think we're, we're caught up in the disruption and the, the dopamine rush ourselves, the addiction as, as, as adults and parents. That is maybe not necessarily modeling the best behavior for, for our kids. So, you know, we, we've got to empower them to use it for good. They're, they're incredible. You know, they'll come up with ideas and they'll use technology to actually aid their personalised, but also their education and their careers. 
And when they're going to go out and leave Wimbledon, they go off to higher education, should they wish, or go in, into the workplace, they're going to need these skills. They're not going to not have a phone with them. So they need yeah. to know how to use them responsibly, which is always a difficult thing because we hide behind, I think, the negatives. It's easy yeah. to go, it's bad. And I think we need to I, step above it. I completely agree. And I think um, I was reading a really interesting essay by Rebecca Solnit on this about the sort of loneliness of your and my generation who are caught between an understanding of the old pre-social media world where we used to write letters and phone each other and this sort of the, the next generation down who don't remember that at all. And we're sort of in between where we feel disconnected from people, but we're not good at putting our phones down or, or as you say, setting that example. You know, how present are we actually in our lives? Um, I watch so many, I, I live just off Wimbledon Common. I watch so many people walking around on a stunning day just looking at their phone yeah. and you just think that's our generation that's not you know that's why I mean I don't want to tech bash I don't want it to be about all oh, the younger generation are, are going to ruin themselves through technology it's it's all of our responsibility um, and there are so many positives yeah. to it it's mainly our responsibility you know we we have to we have to guide them and mentor them and steward them and do the things that we're here to do you know that they, they can only learn good behavior and and, and bad behavior um, but that's an education thing. We need to make sure that, and I know that Wimbledon High invests a lot in staff development and professional yeah. development. And I mean, we work, growth. I don't know if you know the Digital Sisters, Charlotte yeah, yeah. and Emma Robertson. Yeah, yeah they're awesome. I've, I've worked with them for years before I was at um, Wimbledon as well. Um, and they do so much with us and the girls. Um, and also they, they just understand, you know, staying on top of what the new apps are and, you know, it's really hard work if you're of my vintage to do that. So it helps to have them on board. Yeah. We talk about STEM a lot. You know, STEM was the first piece, right? We needed to get the, the engineering, the maths, the science, all of it brought in together. Um, why is STEAM so important? We've added an A. Yeah, we have added an A. I mean, first of all, you know, STEM and women has been particularly in the press, hasn't it? And this idea that you must get women into science and technology and so on, which of course I champion and agree with, but I do think STEAM is important because first of all, I don't understand the distinction between a scientist and an artist. Who says that scientists aren't creative genii? They absolutely are. You, what you're doing is trial and error, trying things out for fun, pattern spotting and so on. That's exactly what composing music is. Um, so scientists are artists and artists are scientists and mathematicians, you know, I, the, it's really interesting. There's a massive correlation between um, skill in maths and being a skilled musician, because actually what the way in which your brain is processing is very, very similar. So it's an artificial distinction anyway to remove the arts from STEM, I think. And also what the arts in there allows us to do is to add that idea of um, humanity, I think, to those two things like engineering, because what the arts are doing is exploring the problem of being human. And what science and engineering are doing is solving those problems of being human. And I think the exploration and the solution together is probably the quickest way to those problems being solved. Um, so we're really keen on that here at, at Wimbledon High and also encouraging the girls not to think of their subjects in silos or to say, I am a scientist, I am an artist. Actually just think, because it's where the gaps are the excitement happens yeah you know what happens if you put chemistry alongside i don't know uh 
well, let's say textiles. Well, I'll tell you what happens. We have our girls looking at how you make the dyes and then using the dyes. And, th you know, so you're absolutely enriching both subjects by doing that. Um, and I've just loved as well watching some of our staff members who've never collaborated before, because why would our design technology teacher be talking to our physics teacher? But they come, come together and they're able to code and build robots together that the girls are, are um, uh, working with and playing with and helping to code themselves. So excited, they get so much more out of it than just thinking, well, I'm English literature, so I read stories and you, you're maths, so you do maths. Um, it's a very the, art, the arts is massive. Way. Yeah, I agree, and I think creativity. I mean, we've I've had a, a kind of a little um, tagline. It, it kind of sits in my DNA, which is that, that that we kind of inhabit the intersection between art and science, and we call it wonder. And it is because you know, while I've always seen, I'm I'm a technologist really, but by by background, but very much creative. Things need to be beautiful and usable. And I've seen too many things fail because the problem with going down to sciencey route is it becomes binary. And when binary, it, it, it absolutely, as you put it, it loses the human element to mm. what the arts does is it connects people because it, it adds an emotion to it that the other areas don't. They're very much the head and the arts is very much the heart. Yeah, so. that's absolutely right. I think there's also, it's increasingly important, and this links back actually to what we were saying about social media is that feeling of flow um, when you're fully absorbed in your task. Um, and it's um, Sikshant Mahaley, isn't it, his book on flow, where he says that it's, that is the peak of happiness for any human being, to lose track of time. And I used to experience it if I were um, singing in a really good choir, you know, that, that feeling of real harmonisation and you could just do it forever and it's so exciting. And I think that is easier to tap into through the arts, but it is ultimately the feeling that our, I think our um, kids are missing out on occasionally because of the multitasking, the endless switching from one thing to another that a screen-led existence leads to. And this is why I worry so much about the, the uh, funding cuts to the arts in school, in schools, you know, and why we in the independent sector are doing all we can to shore up our local state school partners in those areas. Because without experiencing that feeling, how do you know that it's important as a human being to have that in your life? And I think you are actually really fundamentally diminishing young people's chance of finding genuine well-being unless yeah. they experience that. And yeah. that worries me a lot. Yeah, and, and me too. You know, m music resonates with your soul. Um, and you've obviously got a massive passion for choral singing and your musical background. How much of this is influencing your style of leadership and where you put your focus? Well, I mean, apart from the fact that I've, you know, forced a staff choir on everyone. And <laughs> I've also, for me, it's, it's choral singing and cricket. So funnily enough, we're now um, on the cover of the Cricketer magazine this month, just by chance. Um, yeah, it's, it's huge because... I think, well, it's partly that flow thing. It's partly the joy of getting lost in the moment, but also there's a, there is a sense of togetherness that singing brings. You know, there's, there are lots and lots of studies that say that singing together is probably the key way of making people believe in something bigger than themselves. And as a school, we want everyone to think, I'm an individual, I'm unique. You know, at Wimbledon High is, is all about a gaggle of very, um, shall we say, <laughs> individual idiosyncratic people who might not fit elsewhere coming together but I also really need them to believe in the Wimbledon high unity and singing for me 
does that more than anything else. It's also amazing for building confidence, performance nerves, you know, all of those things. And there is something spiritual about it. I mean, I was raised um, Catholic. And then when I was at university as a choral scholar, obviously I was taking part in lots of Protestant um, even songs and so on. But I'm not, I'm not a religious person now. But I do believe in the, in the spirituality of singing together, of those quiet moments. You know, I think probably one of the best moments I've had in education is that an ex-pupil um, of ours at, here at Wimbledon went on to Cambridge and she was at King's College and she managed to get me a ticket for their carols from Kings and I went up because they, they record it right at the beginning of December and it was a snowy Sunday and I went up on my own on the train and walked through the snow to King's College and sat in the darkness listening to that incredible choir for about three hours and honestly it was the most rejuvenating afternoon I've ever had that the beauty the silence the stillness can't be matched and um, I've, I've actually just taken on a trustee position of a, um, a choir charity run by some of the lay clerks at Westminster Abbey who want to bring that experience of very high level choral singing to state schools and um, I'm helping them to do that over the next couple of years. I think it's so important um, that the human ability to create beauty is unfathomable and, it, and as you say a thing of wonder. Yeah, and it is. A um, little trivia fact for you about me and uh, uh -huh. to connect us with choral singing. I sang the solo, age 12, no, age 11, for Once in, once in Royal David, David City. City. Simon Noakes. For whom? At, at the church. I was, I was oh, there. In the were concert. you nervous? I, yeah, I was, of course I was. Yeah, I was, I was, a, I was a sports guy. <laughs> I wasn't meant to be singing in a choir kind of thing. And age 11, oh. 12, right, that's it, in front of the, the church, the days when churches were full. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that, that, it just brought me back a, a little memory of my, of my, oh, that's adorable. Broken voice. Did it go well? Yeah, it did go well. I think it went well. I think my parents have got some kind of um, analog, you know, tape recorder of it. I've got to dig up. But, um, the pandemic has had a major impact on theatres, you know, concert mm. halls and the wider performing arts. Do you think this will discourage young people from pursuing creative careers? I'm really worried that it will, you know. So as chance would have it, a lot of my friends happen to work in the theatre, particularly comedy, but also writing for um, television. Um, mm theatre production and it has been really depressing the way in which they have not I'm afraid been supported financially in the way businesses have um, so I've got you know one two friends one of whom sings at Westminster Abbey actually and the other is a is a singer at the Royal Opera House and they've just had no income at all um, you know and they've it's so they are, uh, one of the Westminster lay clerks was telling me that another of the singers there has become a Domino's pizza delivery guy. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with being a Domino's pizza delivery yeah. guy, but this is after 25 years of serious training. You know, so it does worry me. Um, what I'm hoping is that the outrage and the backlash will actually mean, as can often be the case, that it goes the other way and that more and more people invest in this more private funding comes as a result of the lack of government funding um and because tech plays such a part now in in a, a career in the arts being open to everyone it is a leveler isn't it um in that you can create your own youtube channel whenever you yeah. want um 
I'm hoping that that won't happen. But at the moment, it is a crisis. There's no yeah. question about that. Yeah, I'm hoping. I mean, it's it, it just seems that the arts always gets it always is at the bottom. It gets cut, cut, cut. I mean, the the decision makers obviously have no soul that can't yeah. you know who never go out and feel that enjoyment. You know, they're rather open restaurants and pubs, which I yeah. kind of get. There's a social element to it all. But you're right. What? Why are the arts always? The I ones don't know. And it's been it's been a really interesting experience being a Londoner for nine months with no access to that. And I, I didn't realise how much of my um, feeling of pride about London and my enjoyment of being a Londoner was wrapped up in all of that. Um, it feels really empty and sad without it. Um, but you know, I am I'm always nothing if not born cheerful and optimistic. And I, I am, I'm hopeful, but I have to say, I think it's been pretty outrageous that the response to it. I know that we don't have a bottomless pit of funding. I, I really do understand that. Um, but the fact that, you know, for example, schools in the state sector have been given no extra funding to cope with COVID and the lack of funding for the arts, I think are two incredible, shocking own goals from the government in all yeah. of this. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe that's something we need to drive more of a voice, and we'll, we'll certainly support that as a as a. Company. Elaine Page has been very vocal about the lack of fund funding for the arts, and if Elaine Page is cross, <laughs> that's it. We're all on it. Um, we talked about skills. We talked about creativity. You know, the World Economic Forum always put together every five years. They put together the kind of the top ten skills that employers are looking for. Um, you know, they've just done another one for twenty twenty five. Um, the top 10 are, well, the top five are analytical thinking, active learning, complex problem solving, critical thinking, and creativity has gone from top three to fifth now. Um, what are you doing as a school to make sure that your young women come out with these type of skills? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the first thing I'd say is I wouldn't want any school to be a little factory for good workers. You know, I, I keep an eye on those sorts of things um, that they'll need in later life. But actually, I think schools should be gardens of peace and um, developing yourself, not necessarily the skills that you'd need for the workforce. Um, that said, all of those things that are listed are, are absolutely linked to a vibrant education anyway, which is great because it suggests that, that the workforce is actually responding in a really positive way to what human beings are like when they're at their best. Um, so the STEAM agenda absolutely drives analytical thinking creativity because what, we'll, what we might do to give an example of the STEAM agenda is, let's say there's an object, a shell, uh, you can put it in the center of a room and say, okay, I want you to put your geography hat on and look at it through a geography lens and you over there are gonna look at the shell through a biology lens and you over there are gonna look at the shell through a poetry lens. And then when we're finished, you're going to share those things with each other and then switch lenses. So all you're doing is getting the, the kids to understand that the world isn't a particular way. It's all open for interpretation and your own creative take on it. Um, and really being an analysis is all about that. That when you're having a conversation with somebody, they will have analysed something about the world in a totally different way to you. And if you can understand that, you will be able to communicate with them so much better. So that's that's what we do with that but also the fact that we are you know leading academic girls school but we only do nine GCSEs and that was a decision we took three years ago because the GCSE curriculum is so 
rigid and unfit for purpose it's unbelievable yeah. and so instead our girls do an unexamined ppe course where we talked to them. the other day i talked to them about Bruegel the elder and um, nietzsche and the connection between Bruegel's paintings and nietzsche's philosophy they do obviously they did a lot on the u.s election just gone um so it's just a much more broad exciting what does thinking feel and look like course um than anything that gcse can offer yeah and i remember seeing that come out and yeah i was a big supporter of it and i think all schools should do it i think exam reform is is well overdue you know we, yeah. we, we haven't been able to adapt um and i think with with covid if anything, this should be the catalyst to this change. We're not going to get revolution now, but we need to make sure that we have moved on a bit because, you know, we don't need to have 11, 12 GCSEs because, you know, that's just an entry point to the next level of education. You know, we're developing the skills and the learning, the love of learning that you want that each, each child to have to be able to find themselves. You know, you talked about happiness earlier. You know, that, that's self-actualization, which is very difficult to get to. And I think it's even harder now for our, for our young men and women. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think this will be a catalyst. I mean, there's a, there's a group forming called Rethinking Assessment, which is being led um, by Sally-Anne Wang at St. Paul's. Um, so it's got a bit of, you know, heft and tradition behind it. And we've joined up and it is basically driving a bit of a... a uh, request for this to be properly looked at slowly and carefully you know as you say not revolutionary overnight because it has to be right but it's really reassuring to me that those very traditional schools are, are banging the drum about this that's I think that's a really positive sign you can connect with me on twitter instagram and via linkedin remember keep inspiring schools we need more future school thinking now